Hello? It's been a while, eh? It's been a while. It's great to see you all. Great to see so many familiar faces. Great to see lots of new faces as well. Pastor Fraser, thank you so much for the welcome, for the prayer. And we really, really appreciate that. I have to say, you've done a fantastic job here. Look at that. Look at this decor. I forgot how big this place was. Have you, have you, I think you've made it look even bigger, Pastor Fraser. It's just absolutely brilliant. A lot has changed, hasn't it? I mean, I, I've got to wear, I wear these things now. I, I used to, you remember I used to wear the reading glasses? And then I found I was taking them off and putting them on. And then I, I got to the place where when I was preaching, I just kept them on the whole time. And I confessed to my mother one day that I, I, I wore them to read the notes, but I couldn't actually make out the people. <laughs> and she says, you have to get yourself a pair of proper glasses. So even at my age, I had to get proper glasses. The, 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 the upshot of that is, Pastor Fraser, I didn't know whether they were engaging with me for a couple of years or not, because I couldn't see them. <laughs> but some things never change. God's still a great God, isn't he? He's still a good God, and he still has great plans for us, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I'm going to hand over to Pastor Burl now. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. It's really good to be here today, and I'm just going to share a few words of encouragement before James brings the main word. Um, You know, life is very different now. Um, But it's good, and we get to travel a lot, and we get to see what God is doing all over the northwest of the UK and all over Scotland. And God is doing different things in different places, and it's really good to see what he's doing here amongst you. So I'm I'm just going to share this little encouraging word that um, we would would bring when um, we're visiting uh, different churches. And I really felt that that... Um, resonate in my heart for you all this morning. I, I, I trust, I believe it's a word for the body of Christ at this time. And it, it's just an encouragement to really to keep on going and to keep digging deeper into God and what he has for you as a church, but for you as individuals as well. And I want to read um, a verse from Isaiah 54, verse 2 when it speaks about enlarging the place of your tent and stretching your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Now it's those words, strengthen your stakes, that I feel that that God wants to highlight at this time. If you think about a tent... And you, you think, well, you've got your little one that you put up when you go and camping, and then you've got really large marquees that you would put up, um, I don't know, if there's going to be a festival or something like that. So you've got little tiny stakes for really small tents, and you've got really big stakes for larger tents. 
And God wants each one of us in these days to draw closer to his heart and to dig deeper into who he is. And I really feel that the Lord would say that he is challenging us and me, myself, that we should increase our investment in him. And when we increase our investment, not that we're not already invested in living a life of faith and love and growing in grace because we've decided to follow Jesus but just to give him that more because that's what he cries out for in days that are hard in days that are difficult for us to increase our investment for us to strengthen ourselves in him and we do that by drawing closer to him we do that by listening to his voice, to hearing his heartbeat and to allowing his love and his mercy just to fill our minds and our mouths. So what we put in, we speak out. There is so much more that he wants to do. Be encouraged, strengthen your investment in him. Increase that investment, strengthen your stake in your Jesus time, that time you spend with him just give him that little bit more because the more he wants to give to each one of us and then I want to just read these words from Romans 15 13 and this is all about overflow now you can have an overflow that's not very helpful like when a bath ran in our house and uh, it was forgotten about and uh, went through <laughs> all over through to downstairs, it, it overflow affects the environment, doesn't it? And it brings changes to the environment. And I would encourage you this morning to be people who are full to overflowing with Jesus and with what he has done for you and for that hope. So this, I'll just read this blessing over you, Glasgow Elim, and I'll let James carry on. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust, as you trust, that's that strengthening of those stakes, as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Amen. Good. Um, if you have got a Bible, whether it's a paper one or one on your phone, let's turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Before I, I, I read that, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, we, we do miss you. We love you. We pray for you. Um, you're, you're great people. And it's great that, that um, new faces have been added to the company. Um, so we, we will continue to pray for you. Um, I want to encourage you to continue to pray and pray even more for Fraser and Susan. It's a big thing to step into a church of this size with this profile. And I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> um, no one can prepare you really for what it's like um, because it's, it's just very, very different um, to the world that I came out of and I think probably that you came out of too, Fraser. Um, so we, we just need to, to, to extend grace. We need to be patient. You were all so patient with me. 
Um, and I, 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 this man has just, he's, he's taken to this like a duck to water. It's just brilliant. Um, so keep praying um, because it takes, it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of patience. It takes insight. It takes all sorts of things um, to, to lead a church, particularly a church in the city that, that God has put something on because God has a, has a mantle in this church. There's a calling in this church. So you need to pray for your pastor and his wife and their kids as well. So uh, I know you do that, but I'm just reminding you, just, just in case you've forgotten. So bless you. Let's uh, look at Zechariah 4. I haven't turned to Zechariah 4. That's still in the Old Testament, isn't it? What page number is it? Has anybody got the page number just so they can get there? <laughs> Let's read from verse 1. Then the angel who talked with me, returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees bad, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel, have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Amen. Um, I must admit, having prepared for today, uh, and then looked at the calendar, I suddenly realized it's the first Sunday in Advent, isn't it? Where on earth did this year go? Um, and I, I just had this little thought about Advent. I'm not going to talk uh, about Advent, but I just want to throw this out because someone, you might have, this might be your first time here today. Um, so you might have just come along to, to get your friend off your back. It's, you know what I mean? When are you coming to church with me? When? And you say, well, I'll go this Sunday. You know, beat the Christmas rush kind of thing. Um, you know, at Advent, actually at Advent, we, we look forward to the return of Christ. People think it's all about Christmas, but it's actually about looking for the return of Christ. Did you know that there are more people in the world that adhere to a faith that believe that Christ is going to come from heaven to earth than that don't. That shocked you, hasn't it? This isn't just some um, little private belief. It's not the thing that Elam believes and no one else believes. Because you see, 
Jewish people believe that Messiah is going to come, number one. Islamic people believe, Muslim people believe that Jesus is going to come. And Christians believe that as well. And if you add up all the numbers, that means that there's a significant number. The last time I checked, I didn't do a head count of everyone, but the last time I checked the figures, and that was a majority of people in the world. So this is a big thing. And all I could say to you is, if, if you don't know Jesus yet and you've been dragged along here against you, you owe it to yourself to at least check it out. Because so many millions of people have had their lives changed by this, this person called Jesus Christ. Millions of people throughout history, from all walks of life, from all sorts of backgrounds, from every culture that you can think of, their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. They claim their lives. So check it out, okay? That's just my, my Christmas thought for you. Do you know what? If, if a quarter of a million people in Glasgow discovered something that changed their lives, I guarantee you each of us would go online to, to, to check out what's happening or we'd talk to someone. So check it out this Christmas. Great carol service here. Christmas Eve, plug for the carol service. It's always a good one, always a big one. There, th this is my invitation to you to come along on Christmas Eve. There we are. So that's Christmas over. We've got Christmas done. Today I want to talk about rebuilding broken worlds. Um, <laughs> if you have been at another church in either of the regions that we look after, there's a real possibility that you've heard something like this sermon before, because this is a kind of a regional sermon. This is what I've been sharing when I've been going around the different churches. So I just say that to you so that, you know, you don't walk out of here and someone says, what did he preach on? And you say, well, he preached on Zechariah 4. And they say, oh, he did that a few weeks ago in wherever. And the other thing is, it means that you can't think, is he trying to say this about what's going on? Has he got some, side of it, some insider information about what's going on? And he's trying to address it subtly through his preach. Well, I'm not I know you, you all look so spiritual that that thought would never enter your head. But the reality is, that's what we do sometimes as Christians, isn't it? I, I want to talk on this theme um, partly because this is a time of rebuilding. You as a church have had to go through a time of rebuilding. Bringing everyone back together. Rebuilding ministries. Trying to work out what's appropriate for today that was appropriate yesterday, what's appropriate for today that wasn't appropriate yesterday, and what's not appropriate for today that was appropriate yesterday. It's a time of rebuilding. It's a time of rebuilding in many, many areas of life. For some people, it's a time of personal rebuilding. And I want to say this to you. Um, some of you here today may immediately think, this is just the word that I need to hear. Because my world is a broken world, and I need some help with rebuilding it. Do you know what? Your world can be broken at three years of age, at 13 years of age, at 33 years, at 73 years of age. Your world can fall apart. 
Or you might be here today and you think, do you know what? Actually, my life's pretty good. In fact, my life's never been better. My, my family are happy and holy and healthy. I've got great friends. My job's safe. In fact, I've, I've, just, had a, I've just had a promotion. Life couldn't be better. Well, you've got a couple of options in this sermon. You can either think, well, do you know what? I might get something that will help some other people. That would be good, wouldn't it? If I could get something from what that Irish guy is saying that would help some of my friends that are trying to rebuild their broken world, that would be good. And if you don't take that option, you can always go to sleep. <laughs> but just keep your eyes open. I mean, you've heard what Beryl said. I, you've, you've got the word. Keep your eyes open just to encourage me. And the thing is, if you do go to sleep, at least you'll have been refreshed under my ministry today. Because you'll go out of here thinking, oh, I feel great. Rebuilding broken worlds. The story, and I've preached something similar to this in, in Glasgow before. So some of this will not be new to you. The, the background to this story, the background to this passage, is the story of the, the Jewish people specifically the people of Judah and Jerusalem, returning to their land after the exile. Now, I don't know how well you know your, your biblical history, but the nation of Judah and people from the city of Jerusalem were taken into to exile when the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C., Many prophets had warned the people of Jerusalem for years and the people of Judah. You remember that the, the uh, nation had split in two by this stage. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah. And the prophets had warned the people time and time again, but they went their own way and eventually it all fell apart. No one ever thought it would happen because they thought, we've got the temple and God's present in the temple. And if God's present in the temple, none of this stuff could ever happen to us. And the prophet Jeremiah predicted, he prophesied that they would be 70 years in exile. They would be stuck in Babylon for 70 years. Then something happened that really was a game changer. The Persians invaded Babylon. And a new king came to power called Cyrus. And Cyrus's, Cyrus had this, I don't know if you'd call it a strange belief. I suppose there's some people who believe this kind of thing today. He believed that if he could get the Jewish people to go back home and rebuild their temple and worship their God, that he would kind of get lucky himself. So what he did was, he made this law, he proclaimed this edict or I was going to say he proclaimed a proclamation. That's a strange thing to say. And he said, I want you all to go home. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And I want you to rebuild the temple. So this was what they dreamt of. You know, the, the exile was over. They were going back to the homeland. And they gathered up all their stuff, all the things, all the 
the utensils and articles from the temple that had been kept away, had been locked away like in a, in a lockup in a storehouse somewhere in Babylon or Persia. They got it all together and they came back home. And in 538 BC, they began to rebuild the temple. The first thing that they did was they rebuilt the altar. They started to worship again. They started to sacrifice again. Then they laid the foundation. And then it stopped. They came in for criticism, opposition, and eventually the whole project ground to a halt. It stayed like that for 15, 16 years. 16 years, life went by. All there was was a foundation, a strip of concrete. It's probably not concrete, but a strip of something, and an altar. That's all that you could see. Because you see, when they came back home, they came back home to a pile of rubble. At the end of two kings, we are told that when Nebuchadnezzar entered the city, he burnt the place to the ground. He burned all the houses, he burnt down the royal palace, and he burnt down the temple. They were back, but the promised land, the homeland, the dreamland, didn't look very much like what they thought it was going to look like. Have you ever found in life that the thing that you wanted the thing that you thought, if, you, if I could just get that, I'd be so fulfilled, I'd be so happy. And it just didn't work out that way. You know, there's a story, this, this happened probably a couple of hundred years ago, longer, maybe 250 years ago. Anybody ever heard of the ship called the Hector? No? One, two. This, what they, this ship called the Hector was commissioned to take people to Scot- from Scotland to, I think it was Newfoundland. And the promise was that they would have all this land. And of course, people signed up because they thought, you know what, I've got 10 acres in the Highlands. I can have 1,000 acres across the Atlantic. And they got on this boat, and it was a terrible, terrible journey. And when they got there, they had thousands of acres of land. The problem was it was all forest. Sometimes life's like that. The thing that you want and even the thing that you believe God promised you just isn't very like what you thought it would be. And that was what happened with the people returning to Jerusalem. What were they going to do? How were they going to move forward? That was the challenge that was facing Zerubbabel, their leader, And Joshua, the high priest, these were the two guys who were leading this project. What were they going to do? What was God saying in this situation? What does God want to say to you and to me today? Well, I think there are a number of things in this passage as we look at it that are in some way applicable to us that, are, that could be of some help to us as we consider how we might rebuild 
our broken world or help others to rebuild their broken world. The first thing is this, and this is, this is kind of point one, but I'm going to make it pre-point one. It will say point one on the slide when it comes up. The first thing that we need to do if we want to rebuild a broken world is we need to recognize that there's a battle going on. Now, I didn't read this out this morning because just really for the sake of time. But if you read chapter three, you'll find that there's this, there's been this incredible battle going on in the heavenlies. And Joshua, the high priest, is the one who really, he takes the heat of it. But there's something wonderful that we read in verse 2 of chapter 3. Because Joshua is he's under a lot of accusation. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? If you're going to rebuild a broken world, if you're going to help others to rebuild their broken world, you need to recognize that there's a battle going on, but you also need to recognize that God is for you. He's for you because of what Jesus has done for you. We read here about Joshua being dressed in new clothes. Do you know what, folks? This is a good season to put on some new clothes. It's a good season to take off those old ripped-up robes of unrighteousness and make sure you've got your robes of righteousness on. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose again so that you could stand before God with confidence, dressed in royal robes, dressed in robes of righteousness. So that's just one for free, okay? That's just the the prequel, as they say. So there's a battle going on. Given that there's a battle going on, how was Zerubbabel going to proceed and how can we move forward? I think the first thing here that, that really stands out and that's so, so helpful to us is this. If we want to move forward, if we want to rebuild broken worlds, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says here in verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel, this leader, in fact, in another era, he would have been king because he was from the royal family. He faced some massive challenges. The nation at this stage was nothing like it had been in the time of David or Solomon. They had no economic clout. They had no military muscle. They had no political leverage. These really were difficult times. These were restricted times. And of course, the other thing was there had been this 16-year gap. Wow. Can you imagine the loss of momentum? 16 years? I I can imagine some of the conversations. Because apathy, I'm sure, had set in by this stage. Imagine the conversations. You know, all the bunch of people out for the evening... And they're talking about this and that and how well they've done since they've come back home. And, you know, before we got back to Jerusalem, we were a one donkey family. Now we're a two donkey family. And, 
you know, kids have gone to Jerusalem University and we're all doing well in life. And what about the temple? Oh, the temple. That's what what we do as Christians. Do you know what? I was never convinced of that idea in the first place. All that talk, it was all hype. Honestly, those guys got carried away with themselves. Then somebody else says, Ah, well, you know, if God wants a temple there, God will build a temple there. I am total confidence in God to do it. But I'm not going to do anything, is really what he meant. And then somebody else says, Do you know what? I actually quite like it the way it is. Just the foundation and the altar. It's nice and stripped back, it's a bit edgy. Do you know, there's none of this holy place and outer court and bronze lavers and this altar and cherubim and all this kind of stuff. I just, I just like it. This, I, I like it just so simple. All the conversation goes on. And all the time, it's just apathy speaking. We, sometimes we have very spiritual language for apathy, don't we? We can dress apathy up in all sorts of things. We can invent all sorts of ideas not to get on with the project, not to do what God calls us to do. So he's facing a really, really big challenge. But here's what God says to him. It's like God saying to him, Zerubbabel, I want you to know this, that the one who lives inside you is more important than all that's going on around you. It doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter whether you think the nation's in a good place or not so good place. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is with you. And it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Wow, that's good news, isn't it? Do you know what? You have someone living inside you who is more important than anything that you could ever have around you because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. In John 14, verses 15 to 18, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the paraclete or the parakletos. That's a very, very difficult word to translate because it has so many shades of meaning. But I think the best translation is helper. If you've the English standard version of the Bible, um, he's referred to as the helper because he helps us. Jesus says, I will send you another helper. The Holy Spirit has come to help you and me in our lives. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit knows more about any line of business or any area of your life than anyone else. He knows more than all the experts. He knows more about business than the best business brains. He knows more about medicine than the top medical people. He knows more about education than the most educated people. Why? Because he's God. He knows all things. Now, he doesn't just always give you a direct download of those things. He brings people into your life that will help you to understand things and help you to progress in knowledge. He's the comforter. And Jesus says he's another comforter. That's 
or he's another helper. He's another helper of the same kind. In other words, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to give you someone who's just like me. Wow. You've got a helper who's just like Jesus walking with you through every scene and every episode of your life. And he never leaves. And he never forsakes you. So you might be looking at a world that is broken. You might be looking at things that have fallen apart. Disappointments for things that you didn't receive. And and grief over the things that you've lost. But you haven't lost the Holy Spirit. Just because you've lost everything else. It doesn't mean that you've lost the Holy Spirit. Because he is with you. If we want to rebuild broken worlds, if we want to help other people to rebuild their broken worlds, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. The second thing that emerges from this passage is that Zerubbabel had to reconnect with the grace of God. The challenge that he was facing here was very obvious. There was just a pile of rubble and he's supposed to turn it into a temple. Wow. Do you know what? God can take the rubble of your past and build it into the temple of your future. Amen. He's very good at that. I can look out over the congregation. I can see people and when they came to this church first, they were bringing a load of rubble with them. And God put all the bricks together and made something beautiful out of the rubble. Amen. That's the sort of God that he is. Where was he going to start? Well, God's given him a promise. This is really all a promise of God, isn't it? God's speaking to him. He's saying the Holy Spirit's with you. And he's saying you're to bring the capstone out with cries of God bless it, God bless it. Now, that's what I read out of the New International Version. If you look at the English Standard Version, King James Version, New King James, all the more sort of literal translations, they'll say, you bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace. And it's, it's, it's like Zerubbabel is going to take the capstone before the building's finished. He's going to hold it up and cry grace. It's like he's saying, this is what's going to happen by the grace of God. Sometimes we need to do that over our own lives. We need to, to, to look at it as though it's finished and say, do you know what? I'm shouting grace into my life. I'm calling on the grace of God. I'm claiming the grace of God over all of my life, over my family, over my job, over my business, over my relationships, over my health. I'm calling on the grace of God. I am declaring the grace of God over my life. This was a promise of God's grace. Now, I think that this probably had an even deeper significance for Zerubbabel. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it, Zerubbabel? (laughs) Zed. I I think it had an even bigger significance because his name means this. It means conceived in Babylon. What a name. What a name for a Jewish person. Babylon summed up everything that was wrong with the world. You would never go on holiday to Babylon. Never. It would be like going on holiday to North Korea. I hope 
North Korea is not listening. To, if, I, if I disappear. <laughs> it's just not the holiday destination of choice. It was the worst thing that could ever happen. And this name was a constant reminder of the failure of his family. Because he was part of the royal line. And it was his ancestors that had made the decisions that had got the nation into trouble in the first place. And now he's coming back. Who does he think he is? And he's going to tell us how to sort things out. And he's going to make things better. And he's going to build this temple. And all those people that went out for the night that were discussing the temple probably said, you see, your man's Zerubbabel. I actually don't think he's up to the job. And then somebody probably said, the bottom line is we have no money anyway. (laughs) Grace. Do you know what's Zerubbabel? Whatever has happened in your past, whatever it's been like, however checkered it's been, you need to know that that my favor is towards you. In fact, in the book of Haggai, Haggai is an interesting prophet, isn't he? He's not exactly full of big words. The Lord is with you. What sort of a prophecy is that? That's what he said. Sometimes that's all we need to hear. <laughs> Keep it short. The Lord is with you. But Haggai says to, to Zerubbabel, he says, Zerubbabel, He says, you need to know that God has said that you're going to be his signet ring. What does that mean? It means that God has favored you and that you have authority to do this. God's affirming you. you, you're, You're the right person in the right place at the right time. Was Solomon a better king? Who knows? He was dead by this stage, so he wasn't much use in this situation, was he? Was David? It was yesterday. It was all gone. Zerubbabel, you are the right man in the right place at the right time. Friends, we need grace. We need to stay connected to the grace of God in our lives. New Testament says a number of things about grace. It says that our whole lives are full of grace. John 1.16 Out of his fullness we have received grace after grace. Very hard to express exactly what it says. But the idea is that you just get grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. God gives us grace to take us out of situations. He gives us grace to take us out of our sin. Do you know, no matter what's going on in your life, once you've experienced the grace of God and you know that he is for you, it doesn't matter what the devil says to you. Probably about, I don't know, six months ago, I parked. Um, I better not say where the car park is. I parked in this car park. Let's just put it like that. I'm in enough trouble with one nation on the earth already. I don't want to get in trouble with any car parking attendants anywhere. So anyway, everything's an app these days, isn't it? It used to be you just went and you put your coin in and you got your ticket. So anyway, I, 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 I made the phone call, paid for my parking, came back a few hours later, and guess what? There's a parking ticket. 
So I get in touch with the car parking authority and I send them a screenshot of my payment and I get an apology. Why? Because the price was paid. Do you know what? Whenever Satan wants to charge you, give him a screenshot of Calvary and the empty tomb. Amen. Give him a screenshot. But you see, grace doesn't come just to get us out of our past and out of our sin. Grace, God provides us with grace to take us into all that he has for us. Another personal illustration. A good few years ago, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago maybe, we got invited, we just got to know our local MP, got invited to the, the Houses of Parliament to, to see around. The church had, you know, we had been there about 10 years, I think, and um, we got to know our MP, come up. And anyway, we're queuing on a sunny day. It's really hot. Loads of people in front of us. Police everywhere, machine guns, all the rest of it. And we're just waiting. We simple lost souls from the country. And then our MP comes out. She just says, come this way. Nobody looks at any identification. Nobody, looks, nobody challenges us. Everybody makes way for us. Why? Because our friend made a way for us. We had the favor of someone who had more authority than anyone else. Jesus is the friend that makes way for you. He's the friend that makes way for you. He's praying for you all the time. He ever lives, Hebrews 7 says. Is it 23 or 25? I can never remember. It's terrible, isn't it? He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for you all the time. If we want to rebuild broken worlds, we need to know that God is for us, that his favor is towards us. It doesn't, you're not your family. You're not your father or your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-grand... You, you're not anybody else except you. And, and your dealings with God are between you and him. It's a personal thing. And you don't need to think because of what my family's done, because of the checkered past of my family, I'm going to make all the same mistakes. You don't. God frees you from that. And he has something better for you. Thirdly, and I think it's finally, I think I said, <laughs> we need to respect the day of small things. It's so important that we rely on the Holy Spirit. It's so important that, that we acknowledge and stay connected to the grace of God in our lives. But if we're ever going to move forward in any area of life, we need to learn to respect the day of small things. Zerubbabel and his friends were living at a time of difficulty, a time of restriction, a time of uncertainty. What complicated the project of building the temple even further was that there were some people around who remembered what it used to be like. I remember the old temple. Oh man, what a temple that was. This is nothing like that temple was. You know, we were doing great things back then. Man, it was far bigger. Let me say this. The size of a project does not necessarily reveal the significance of a project. 
Sometimes small can have more significant than big. Significance than big. Significance and profile aren't the same either. You can have a very high profile, but actually it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But you can be almost anonymous and have great significance. When they laid the foundation of the temple, some people were delirious with joy. You can read about it in Ezra 3. And some people were crying their eyes out because it's not like it used to be. It's never like it used to be, is it? Do you know know what? One thing I've found about the past, it's never as good as I thought it was and it's never really as bad as I thought it was either. We have to have a balanced understanding of the past. Do you know what the best era of Glasgow Elam is? I'm going to be bold and say this, Fraser. This one. This is the best era. Because it's the only one that you have. All the rest are finished. <laughs> it's over. Don't cry for me, Glasgow Elam. It's over. I can't recreate it. Do you, know, wouldn't it be, do you know what? I think if somebody invented a time machine, Christians would, they'd empty the shop to go back. I got a laugh there. That was, I must be, the, the anointing must be here. To go back to the, the things that we all loved. But we just can't, folks. We can't. You've got today. Make the most of it. Enjoy it. And do you know what? If you believe this is the best era that you were ever in, it just might turn out to be. But if you always think, oh, what we did in the 50s or 40s or 30s. or Now, there's nobody old enough for that, is there? This is a new day. It's great. It's a new era. New things, new era. But we have to respect the day of small things because for Zerubbabel, it was going to be a day of small things. It's going to be a day of incremental progression. That sounds fancy, doesn't it? It's just a step at a time. If you lived in the UK in the 70s, the 80s or the 90s, or the 2000s, and maybe even the 2010, and you turned on TV on a Saturday evening, you're likely to have seen one person in any of those decades. And if I said, nice to see you, you would say? Bruce Forsyth dominated our TV screens. He reinvented himself on so many occasions. He's sort of remembered, isn't he, for all those like corny one-liners like I just shared with you. Some of you are going to go home today and say, and say well, what did he preach about today? He was talking about Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> goodness. But Bruce Forsyth was actually a very talented man. He was a brilliant tap dancer. Brilliant. And he, you know, he did all the big gigs. He did all the big, big venues. Performed before 
hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, I don't know. But when he was a little boy, he used to come home from school. And in the old days, when you actually had floorboards in your front room, rather than cement, he would pull back the carpet and he would practice his tap dancing. He didn't know then where that would take him. You know, friends, sometimes we have to have the courage to pull back the carpet and do a little bit of tap dancing and get ourselves into whatever God's doing now. And it mightn't seem significant, it mightn't seem great, it mightn't seem anything. But it can be the first step towards something that you could never have imagined. Rebuilding broken worlds needs small wins because big victories are made out of lots of small wins. A day, a today of small things is better than a today of no things. A today of small things is better than a yesterday of great things. And without a today of small things, it's unlikely that you'll have a tomorrow of great things. Most great things begin when somebody makes a decision, somebody takes a step of faith, somebody does something. It's just a small thing. But God blesses it. God honors it. Respect the day of small things.